Revelation. So Mark chapter 10, verses 17, in which the story of the rich young uh, ruler, which you all know, come on, which you all are. Well, by faith, come on, oh well. See just how quick you guys go there? I'm not going to read much since you know this story. I'm going to come back and I'm going to teach out of it probably for a couple of weeks. But Verse 17 says this, <clears throat> And he was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Father, I just thank you today. Help me, God. I cry out for you just to allow your anointing to fall in this place, God, as I speak and upon the hearers. And I give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus begins by asking the very basic question when the guy walks up to him and says, Good teacher, you know, what should I do? Jesus nails it immediately. Right from the get-go. And he says, why do you call me good teacher? Why do you call me good? Come on. Because if you call me good, you're saying that you recognize me as God. And in that you don't recognize me as God, then why are you calling me good? Because whatever I have to say after this will not matter to you unless you recognize me for who I am. Come on, somebody. How many times do we rush into the presence of God without really realizing who He is? And if you don't recognize who He is, whatever He's going to say, you're not going to listen to anyways. There'll be people in this room as you launch into ministry, because of that lack of revelation of who He is, you'll divert your course. Come on. Acts 12.5 says this, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The whole idea here is that prayer was being offered up unto God. And i got to ask, how much of our prayer that we pray is with God in mind? How much of it do we begin with our needs and all the things that are wants before we really begin with God? This is who you are. And before a word of petition is offered, we should have a definite and vivid consciousness that you are talking to God the Father. Come on now. We just run ahead. I am not, you're not talking to your buddy. Come on now. I hear people say, well, you know my big daddy in the sky. He ain't your big daddy in the sky. He's God. Come on now. Coming in and realizing that no matter what prayer that you offer, the smallest, the greatest, the longest, the shortest, that you are coming into the presence of God Almighty. Whoo, come on. When we talk about theology and doctrine, you know, we basically doctrine, you know, comes from the word, Latin word doctrina, which means teaching. So it's about the teaching about God, derived, the, you know, the teaching derived about God. We talk about theology, theos, God, logos, the word, the idea of stud, the study of God. I said, you know what, I'd love to be able to do more of this, but, uh, and I wouldn't beat you up so bad in chapel, but Joey just never lets me teach any classes, so that's why I, get, I only get to do it here, you know. 
He says, Weed Hopper, when you arise to my place, you can teach. <clears throat> the difference is, is theology is that which is made up of systems. Man's systems, we try to look at the Word of God across it. Where doctrine is what we believe. You know, they, they're the truth straight out of the Word of God. That's why we talk about the doctrine of God, or the God is Father. That's what we're talking about. Even though we may put theology and look at it from, you know, across, like I said, the interlocking across the whole uh, spectrum of the Word. But the idea here is that when we look at this, what I wanted to say is that when we go into these different subjects and we try to study them in your classroom or we're here in, in, the, in, in the classroom, I mean in the uh, chapel. I'm sorry, guys, I'm living on like a handful of hours of sleep. But it's the idea of just looking and saying, God, who are you? What does the Word teach me? That's why you're in this school. Man, when you stand up and you're in, and you're in a church somewhere and, and you don't know what to preach, God, I just can't think of nothing. Can I tell you, preach doctrine. Preach the truths of the church, what we believe. That's, I mean, you can never go wrong pe- uh, preaching doctrine. So when we talk about theology, the study of God, you know, it comes in so many... Uh, it can be uh, systematic, Right? It's the idea of what it is across the Word of God, how it interlocks uh, between it. And then there's biblical. I know what you're saying. I can hear you. It can be OT, you know. It can be new T. It can be uh, uh, Pauline. It can be, uh, uh, you know, Joheny and whatever. You get my, then there's what? Then there's historical, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. Historical. I'm sorry. That is historical, man. <laughs> it's the idea of the confessions of the church, you know? Their creeds. You know, what did they put together there? Then there's practical theology. You know, it's the whole idea of what? This is what the church put into practice, what we believe. Gets you an idea. So when we look at this and we come down and we just talk about the theology, when we talk about the existence of God, you know, the Word of God, when we read the Word of God, it automatically takes it for granted. The Word of God is not put here to try to make an argument for God. It just takes it for granted. Come on. So when we look at whether it's in the Old or the New Testament, He's self-existent, Exodus 3.14. I am that I say I am. He's the source of all life, John 5.26. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given it life unto His Son. You know, in, the, in John, or Genesis 1, one says what? In the beginning, God. And the Bible says what? Psalm 14.1. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I'm, you're going to look at this and you're going to go, Chancellor, you said all this this morning to make this one single little point? Yep, I did. So when you get to the end, you're going to go, you could have said that in two minutes. And I say, yeah, you're right. 14.1. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. Come on. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So when we look at the ar- arguments for, you know, uh, that are put out, I know this really helps you guys. There's what? The cosmological, Right? Which is what? The idea of cause. You know, effect, whatever. You know, we just didn't get here. Everything has a cause to it. 
right? It just it didn't just happen. Teleological. Which is all about what? Like a watch. There's got to be a what? There's got to be a designer. You can look, you just know, come on. Well, this creation didn't just happen. That tree didn't just make itself. Come on now. The stars, the moon, I mean, come on. Analogical. That's, that's, it is a word. Guys, see, you guys keep messing around. It's the idea that what? I told you I don't have much time and you guys are messing me up. The belief what? That inside what? Every one of us, I don't care where you go in the world, you're going to have everybody that has some understanding of a God. How is, where did it come from? It didn't come from intellect. It didn't come from tradition. Tradition, what? It's our tradition. It just happened to be the whole world's tradition. It didn't come from Scripture. They didn't have Scripture. It's that it's automatically inside every person in the world. It's proof that there's got to be a God. Something put it there. And then what's the last one? I think it's anthro. Right. Oh, way to go. Which is what? The idea of what? Moral. Intellect. Yeah, right? The idea that, come on, how is it that people know right from wrong? How come people ain't just killing all themselves out in the streets? And there's the whole idea, of course, the atheist says, society is getting better. Are you kidding me? Come on. I know you don't live in Oakland. Come on, somebody. Mm-hmm. So, God, the, so the revelation of God's broken up. We know in two things. General revelation. God gives knowledge everywhere of himself. The heavens and the earth, Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens are telling of the glory and their expanse declaring the, word, the work of his hands. Day to day he pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we are without excuse. Come on, I'm flipping through them. Acts 14.17, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Man, Genesis 1.20, God said, let us, come on, look at yourself, come on, look at your neighbor. Look at your other neighbor and say, man, I know there's got to be a God. Come on. Look at your other neighbor and say, I know there's got to be a devil too. No, don't go there. Don't. Stop right there. So let us make man in our own image. Come on, you know what's that? God in history, when you just look at creation story, you look at the story of Abraham, you can look and go, there's got to be a God. Come on, just the way everything's come together. The provider of all mankind, Psalm 145, 15. The eyes look all over you and you give their food in due season. And you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. But general revelation, come on, in and of itself will not lead you into a full knowledge of who Christ or who God is. Amen? It'll argue to the point that there is a God, but that's it. So turn over to Romans 1. Come on. You do have your Bible in church, right? <clears throat> Don't you hate when your notes that you need are on one page and you've got to flip the page to get the other part? 
Romans 1, 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the God and against unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident with him, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible, after his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that with are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor God or, or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculation, and foolish heart was dark, and professing to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the corruptible God for God's image in the form of corruptible man and the birds of the four-footed animals and the crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over. Come on. And the lust of their hearts and purity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And that's just exactly the way that he said it. Come on, somebody. So when you look at it, it just gives you this natural thing. So what does verse 19 say? It's plain, evident, unmistakable knowledge of God's available to everybody. Verse 18 says, what do they do? They suppress it. Verse 21 says, because of it, what? They dishonor the thanklessness to God. Not from a form of lack of knowledge, but because of a will, willful, blatant turning away from God. Verse 21, what's the result? Their reasoning becomes futile and they become vain. They become idolaters. And what happens because of it? Judgment. What's the judgment? I'll just give you over to your desire. People don't realize that. People explain judgment. Judgment is nothing more than God giving you over to your desire. No, always bring no. It's just, He gave you over. It's what you wanted, you got it. So don't complain to Him when you get it. So special revelation, what's that? Well, that makes God, makes himself known. Through what? His chosen people, through history. You can go through all that Deuteronomy. For you are a holy people, Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be people of his own possession of all the peoples who are the face of the earth. First Peter 2, 9, you know, there's your royal priesthood. Come on into a holy nation. Psalm 103, verse uh, or 7. He made known his ways to Moses. It's progressive. It's continuing. It was from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God hasn't changed. It's just you've got a fuller revelation of who He is. Galatians 3, 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified. Tutor, schoolmaster, teacher, guide, guardian, custodian, as we mature in our faith with Christ. That's what it was for. It's saving. Romans 1. If you look at Romans 1, it leads you automatically to Romans 3. Amen? Lost, given over. The Romans say, leave you all away. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory, but being justified by the free gift, what? Of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? It was redemptive. In the Old Testament, He was called Savior. But come on, the fullness of that revelation happened through the Son, Jesus Christ. The idea, Old Testament, the you know, sheep, all whole bulls, all that's going on. And it says in, in Hebrews, it says what? Man, that which that could not take away our sin permanently, it has been taken away through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! He who died once, once for all of us. Praise God. It's personal. John 1, 1, 14. In the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. Come on. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. The glory is only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Oh, hallelujah. In the Old Testament, it was what? The prophets. Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God has nothing unless He reveals His secret unto His servants' prophets. New Testament, what? Hebrews 1, get God after He spoke along to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways. In these last days, has spoken to us, what? Through His Son. Hallelujah! Praise God. I love it. The difference is, is what? In the Old Testament, they were going, Thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. And Jesus stood up and said, I say unto you. Well, you know, thus saith the Lord. Man, this coming straight from the throne. And that's why I love Galatians 1.16. Paul said, man, God has revealed His Son into me that I might preach. Hallelujah! That He's revealed it to you and me to who He is. So every time we kneel down and pray, we realize, hallelujah, you are the God of all creation. 
You're the sustainer of all life. Praise God. How do we know? We know it by faith. Faith will come out here and hear through the Word of God. Come on now. So, where am I trying to get with this? I'm trying to get over to Matthew 6. Man, I'm doing good. Matthew 6, 9 through 11. After this, because what, what do I want you to see? I'm trying to get just one point. All our, all our doctrinal beliefs, all our theology, everything we're teaching is what? It's for you to realize who He is. So if you know who He is, then when you kneel down and pray, come on, you realize that I'm standing before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I'm crying out in His name, being able to speak and do what? Call Him Father. Come on. After this man of prayer, our Father. Woo, come on. Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. ever. Amen. Wow. Take the Old Testament, the Jews. They never ventured to call him out and say his name, Father. You can count on one hand the number of times you see it in the Word of God in the Old Testament. Then it happened to a regeneration. What Jesus, holy was what was central to the OT. In the New Testament, Father is. Powerful. As I started, fatherhood of God is not a major theme in the Old Testament, folks. You see it in Jeremiah 3.19. You see it in Hosea, Israel, my son, Psalm 103, Psalm 2. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, it's the song of Moses. Isn't it interesting that David, incredible relationship with God, Moses, incredible relationship with God. Come on. These are the two guys that venture out and use it. But it's very rare in the Old Testament uh, uh, defined it. There's no term of that level of endearment or intimacy that you will find being allowed. What the hey? Who in the world? Now, you know that's got to be the Wallace. Father, help that child get a better watch. Dr. Cook, that's your protege right there. Tighten him up. In the New Testament, this is just so powerful. The heart of the message just completely changes and the nearness of God and the intimacy of God that you and I get to have all of a sudden explodes. God shows Himself to be Father through Christ. You know, He cares for His creatures. Matthew 6. Uh, he causes the sun, the rain, all that to shine. Matthew or Mark 5. You know, He models a love towards His enemies, which Jesus taught Matthew 5 again. He's ready to forgive those who turn to Him. Forgive, you know, ask for those who ask for those who, uh, and forgive others. That whole thing wrapped up in Scripture, all teaching about who He is. He delights in granting good things unto His children. The powerful thing is if you watch it through the gospel, this theme becomes more and more pronounced. In Mark, which is the earliest gospel, you see the term Father used four times. Matthew, which kind of falls in the next level, is 30. Now guess what? John, which is written, what, a couple of decades later, the term goes 130 times as the church is beginning to realize who He is, that He's my Father, hallelujah. That that intimacy, that relationship through the Holy Ghost that you and I have, that when we kneel down, we can say, Abba, Father. Ooh. Romans 18, for you have 
not received the spirit of bondage into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bearing witness. God, hallelujah. He said, hallowed be thy name. What is that? All of what name? The name of Father that you and I get to use to call upon him. Man, it's just, it's just powerful. The idea of worshiping him when you bow down and you get into his presence. The idea that that's the beauty of worship. You at the same time, just as like in the life of Christ, when he took him up and said, here, bow down, worship me, I'll give you all this. By, by sitting and going, God, I worship you. We ascribe glory and honor to him. And at the same time, you rebuke the devil with your worship. Come on. One part, you're praising God. The other part's telling the devil, shut up. I know in whom I believe. I know in whom I trust. I know in whom I place my life. What do you think about that? Hallelujah. But no, what do we do? We usually run in, oh, well, my God, I got this need. I got that need. I got this. But here, first thing is thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Then what? Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Ooh, come on. Ooh. Oh, there's, that's just too much teaching there. You, that's over and you all come back to that someday. Matthew 6.6. 6. Let's go over there. Five minutes. But thou, when thou prayest, what? When thou prayest, enter in the inner chamber and having shut the door, pray to what? Thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which is in secret, shall recompense thee, basically openly. first thing Jesus teaches everyone's got to have a solitary place and in that solitary place come on that place that's alone I always say this to you that if when I leave California or wherever place I move or wherever I go the only thing I remember about those places is my secret place when I was in Bible college before I left Bible college and when I was in Bible college I can remember the closet and throwing all my wife's stinky shoes out and praying inside there I kept mine they were good don't don't miss up on that but I'd be in there just praying. I know that spot. I know the spot in the neighborhood where I walked. I know the spot in the park where I went. In my first church plan, I know out in the woods where I prayed. I know where I walked around my building and prayed. All these little secret places I had all over. That's the only thing I remember of any place I've ever lived. It's my secret place because that's where I met with the living God. Come on now. Pray to the Father, recompense you. I just love that. He seeth in secret. He wants you to get alone. He wants to teach you who He is to you as Father. And where He's found, that Father of yours is found in secret. It's you getting alone with Him. That's what this fasting time is all about. He says, and as you get alone with Me, because as you steal away in secret, I will reward you openly. Praise God. You know, you don't got to, he's not like an ungod, un- one of the heathen gods where you got to beg him like he's seen with the prophets of Baal. You know, he's there, he's desired, he wants to bless you. That's what it says. And then the last thing, talk about the end of prayer. What is it when it comes to the Father? Is that he may be glorified. John fourteen thirteen. he said, I go unto the Father and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Every answer to prayer, every petition has got to have that as its object. That He would be glorified. Not that your selfish desires would be met. It's that He would be glorified. 
the essential element, the glory of the Father has got to be the aim of every prayer that we offer. John 8.50, but I do not seek my own glory. John 8.54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. John 17.1-4, Father, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee, and I have glorified thee, and I glorify me with thyself. The whole idea of Jesus is saying, listen, God, I glorified you on earth, and when I go down, I'm going to glorify you all over again. It never stops. 1 Corinthians 9.16, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. The necessity laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, I preach not to God. First Corinthians 10, 31, wherever, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever, you do all for the glory of God. Galatians 6, 4, but God forbid that I should glory save in the, uh, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and unto the world. First Corinthians 1, 20, there is no flesh of glory in His presence. There is no glory but His glory. So what am I trying to say to you today? All the theology that we try to teach you, all the, the whole idea is not for you to get some type of uh, cognitive, intellectual stimuli, whatever. It's that when it's done. That like I said, that when you kneel down, when you get into your secret place, that you understand that you're speaking to your Father. Amen? That you're coming into the presence of a holy God. And that which they didn't have before. That which you couldn't even address him, which they didn't even dare address him as. Jesus has made a way for you. Jesus had no problem calling him Father because of the intimacy and the relationship. And now he says, because of me and because of the work in which I have done for you. Come on in. Come on in. Kneel down next to me and talk to your Father. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you today.